Warcast for Catholics. Welcome to the first full episode of this new podcast sponsored by the Catholic Peace Fellowship. We're at catholicpeacefellowship.org and we are offering this podcast as a discussion of issues of war and peace for soldiers and Catholic civilians alike. In this episode, we are going to have two main features. One is an interview with Joshua Castile, a veteran of the Iraq War and a conscientious objector. Second, we're going to have our first installment of our feature, In the Beginning, the first 500 years of church approaches to war and peace with our resident scholar, Mike Schorsch. So today, we are going to have some exciting features for you. Listen up and tune in to Warcast for Catholics. Sick of sorrow, sick of the pain, sick of hearing again and again that there's gonna be peace on earth. A brief word about the Catholic Peace Fellowship. We were founded in 1964 by Jim Forrest and Tom Cornell, who were friends of Dorothy Day, Thomas Merton, and Daniel Berrigan. These were people who were addressing these issues during the Vietnam War. And what they wanted to focus on, and what we still focus on today, is not questions of public policy or politicians, but rather, how does war affect ordinary Catholics? During the Vietnam era, young Catholics were being drafted and didn't know what to do if they were opposed to war. Today, we don't have a draft, but we do have draft registration, which is a topic that we are going to be taking up in a future podcast. What about the draft and its possibility? But also, ordinary Catholics are going off to war. There are 375,000 Catholics in the United States military, and these are young people who have thought about issues of war and peace. Sometimes we wish that people would think about them even more, but many of them are in serious crisis of conscience, wondering what to do. The popes have condemned the Iraq war. The Vatican has called it illegal, immoral, and unjust. And Pope Benedict XVI is continuing a strong critique of war. But how do we help soldiers who are Catholic or non-Catholic who may be wanting to put this teaching into practice. That's what this Warcast is about. And our first episode today, and the first, very first interview in that episode, is going to be focused on this question because you're going to hear from someone who did take up these questions and decided that he was going to take a stand for conscience. So coming up in just a moment, an interview with Joshua Castile. One of our regulars here on the podcast is going to be Joshua Castile, a soldier who was in Iraq and left and then became a conscientious objector. He's going to offer regular insights into some of the questions that face soldiers during a time of war. So here with us now, Joshua Castile. Welcome. Thank you, Mike. Excellent. Um, let's start with a few questions just about your story. Uh, you, you went to uh, Iraq as part of what group and what was your job there? I was a part of the 202nd Military Intelligence Battalion, and we were the unit sent to Abu Ghraib in West Baghdad um, after the scandal uh, broke at the prison. And we were a part of the, the new guard um, as uh, it's kind of like the new face of Abu Ghraib to, to reform the interrogation process. And you were, um, you were a, an, an interrogator, and you had learned uh, Arabic, is it? 
Yeah, I was uh, what's called a 97 Echo, an interrogator uh, in the U.S. Army, and I studied Arabic at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey. Okay. What was your rank and um, and some of that uh, going in? I was a specialist E4. Okay. Okay. And you studied for how long to prepare to go uh, do the job at Abu Ghraib? I spent about four months at uh, Fort Huachuca, Arizona, at the basic interrogator school, and then about a year and a half studying Arabic in California. Okay. And what did you find when you got there? I mean, what were some of your um, what were some of your expectations, and what what was it like when you first arrived? When I first arrived to Iraq, um, I was uh, I was pretty tense, I guess. Um, I just started really grappling with the ethics of the situation uh, probably about six or eight months before I went, and I was pretty close to um, to doing something like conscience subjection, and I had contemplated uh, the chaplain's corps as a way to deal with uh, um, some of my ethical issues. But uh, I didn't have a whole lot of time in order to um, to act on uh, on those uh, convictions and some of those ambiguities um, because I was deployed to Iraq less than two months after I graduated from the wow. interrogator school. Wow! And so I told myself I'm going to give my non-pacifist voices one last shot, um, listen to my leaders, try to do a, uh, a good job as an interrogator, try to be as ethical as I possibly can, um, and. I went there with that understanding, but I think one thing that, that most soldiers will probably be able to relate to is that the first time you hear a person tell you lock and load, um, the entire world changes. And the world of um, ethics, rationality, just gets thrown out the window. Mm. And, um, and primarily, a soldier exists um, uh, in a world of instinct and expediency and um, doing what's necessary not necessarily doing um, what is uh, best for a certain ideology. You're doing what the job demands. You're doing, a, you're doing actions according to the mission. And um, it took a few months in Iraq for me to kind of catch up with myself and start to be able to um, put words to what I, was, what I was experiencing and what I was going through. Um, rather than simply acting on instinct, right? What what was it like with some of the other soldiers? I mean, were people were some of the guys in your unit were they pretty gung ho? Were people talking about it? I because I wonder now, guys who may be listening um, who are in Iraq, are, are, is your sense that guys are talking about what do you think about us do what we're doing here, or was it something that people just didn't talk about? Well, I think one of the things that most people don't realize about the military is that. It's the military is a microcosm of the rest of the country, mm -hmm. and uh, you have people um, represented uh, from every race, racial background, ideology, economic status, and um, uh, education level, and um, so it's, it's pretty hard to characterize according um, to some of those categories. Um, but uh, in my unit, uh, we had a pretty good um, smattering of all different types of personalities and political convictions. And a, a, a fair amount of conversation took place kind of at the, at the level of ideas. Mm -hmm. um, but um, you know, the, the presidential um, election uh, process was going. Um, right. When I arrived in, uh, in June of 2004, a lot of campaigning was taking place. And so people talked a lot about, uh, about uh, Bush versus Kerry and, um, and what each presidency might mean for um, for us, as far as being in Iraq and the future of the Iraq War, and um, but 
um, there was a, I would say that there was a bit of a, a bit of silence when it came to serious issues of um, of ethics on the personal level. Right. We might be able to analyze things from uh, from a more detached uh, perspective on very broad issues, but when it came down to um, you know what do those things mean as far as me as a person in the interrogation room with another human being? Right. Um, that was a lot more of a, a lot more touchy issue. Right. And well, and you started to think about even even more deeply about some issues of conscience and even conscientious objection when um, you had an experience while you were driving and you saw I guess some some uh, some young boys, some shepherd boys who. Um, who were uh, along your route? Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what that experience meant? Sure. Well, even the the very first convoy that I went on, um, when we were gearing up to go on the convoy that that took us from the Baghdad International Airport to Abu Ghraib, uh, I was the only soldier to raise my hand when the convoy commander asked, "Who's never done this before?" And um, this uh, very barrel-chested, steel-jawed uh, army captain. Came, you know, came directly to me, squared me in the eyes, and said, when you move your selector lever from safe to semi, you shoot to kill. We don't fire warning shots. Um, and when I was talking before about, about instinct, that was, that was the moment when ideas and concepts and freedom and democracy flew out the window, and I was, I was doing a job. Um, but one of the things that I, I clearly remember in the midst of all of that was just the, the irony of seeing people dressed in clothes that um, that I'd grown accustomed to associating to like what Jesus and Abraham huh, right. um, wore, and just remembering that that vision in my head, and on that first convoy, um, months later, while uh, um, while uh, driving on a second convoy, uh, we ran across the, uh, um, the the little boys that you that you mentioned. There were three of them, probably about eight years old, and the convoy that I was on was a pretty routine endeavor, um, pretty pretty normal, nothing out of the ordinary. And like on all convoys, I had my weapon pointed out this at the side of our our Humvee on my um, on my lane. Um, but there were three little boys that were walking less than ten feet away from the convoy, and we were driving pretty slowly. And I made eye contact with all three of the little boys through the sights of my weapon, and. Um, this was this was a few months into my time in Iraq, and I'd um, I'd attended mass whenever the, the the priest was able to come to the prison, and and just not too not too long before that convoy, I'd been reading the section where Saint Peter um, talks about proclaiming the hope that is within you, always having a ready defense. Right. And when I finished that convoy, I thought to myself, how in the world would I be able to share hope in that moment um, when I was when I made eye contact with three little three little boys through the sights of a weapon, you know, how would they remember that experience? Were they used to having guns pointed at them? Were they used to living in fear? And and how was I supposed to remember that situation as a person who's supposed to carry the love of Jesus Christ um, and to, to be able to proclaim the hope that's within me anytime, anywhere? How was I supposed to do that then? Hi, this is In the Beginning, and I'm Mike Schorsch. In the Beginning is the segment of the podcast where we'll be discussing what Christians who lived in the first 500 years after the birth of Christ thought about and did about war and peace in their time.
In this first installment of In the Beginning, we'll take a look at how and why the early church is particularly relevant for Catholics, especially Catholic soldiers living today. In the early church, we have the foundations of what we believe as Catholics. It barely needs mentioning that the earliest Christians wrote the New Testament. But from the very beginning to the very end of the 500-year span we've marked out for ourselves, we have a number of other theologians and saints. Clement of Rome, Origen, Augustine, these thinkers and many others participated in the theological debates that have greatly defined current Catholic theology and ethics. Yet, apart from being influential thinkers, these early Christians were people who really lived and who struggled with many of the same real-life issues that Catholics deal with today. In fact, the situation of these early Christians was in some ways very similar to our own, which makes their choices particularly relevant for us. For one thing, Christians back then lived in a world that was not predominantly Christian. Regardless of anyone's opinion of how Christian America is, it's clear we're living in a global society that is not primarily Christian. Any soldier who's served in places like Iraq, Afghanistan, Korea, or even some parts of Europe knows that. The early Christians were a minority in the Roman Empire, even after Constantine made Christianity legal. So their experience of being strangers in the world can speak directly to us today. Another thing about the early Christian context is that there were many competing ideas about what it meant to be Christian. Aside from the Catholic Church, there were many, many heretical or alternate Christianities. In our day and age, there are also many competing Christianities many people who advance their ideas as the truth. We can learn a lot from the early Christians about how to find correct, faithful teachings among the many alternatives being offered. Finally, early Christians also struggled with one big ambiguity which we also share, trying to faithfully follow Christ while also trying to be good citizens of the most powerful government in the world. What did it mean for them to be citizens of the heavenly city and swear allegiance to a heavenly king? Could they also swear to an earthly ruler? Could they be soldiers of Christ and soldiers of Rome? It's these kinds of questions that we'll be asking and trying to answer in the coming installments of In the Beginning. In our next two installments, we'll take a quick tour of different approaches to war and peace in the early church focusing on some of the great theologians of the period, Augustine, Ambrose, Tertullian, and Origen. You've heard from Joshua Castile, and in future episodes, in our very next episode, in fact, of Warcast for Catholics, you're going to hear the second part of that interview, and then in the next one, the third part of that interview. But what strikes us in talking with Joshua is how very real these questions of war and peace are. And so we want to encourage anyone who is in the military to contact us. Find us through our website, catholicpeacefellowship.org. You can call us on the GI Rights Hotline, 1-800-394-9544, or 
or giwrites.org. Talk to us. We'd love to interview for interview you for this podcast or read your comments on the air in our future podcasts. We want this to be a discussion and a discussion that is not just about people who are in political leadership, but people who are ordinary civilians and ordinary soldiers, because that's often what war comes down to. It's not the politicians who do the fighting. It's people who are asked to do that fighting for them. And our question at the CPF, Catholic Peace Fellowship, and at this Warcast for Catholics, is what do we say of that as Catholics? What do we say when we are asked to participate in the practice of war? We know that the early church had some deep reservations about that and said that we are going to be an army of peace. Now, we respect those who don't agree with us, and we still want them in the discussion, but we do want to follow Dorothy Day, who is an inspirer of the Catholic Peace Fellowship and founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, when asked what Catholics should do about war, she said, the answer is clear. We should raise a mighty league of conscientious objectors. That is, we should say that the church is indeed an army, an army of peace, which sheds no blood, as uh, St. Clement, one of the early church fathers, wrote. And so we want to put this into the discussion. Perhaps Catholics should say that of all the bodies we belong to, the nation, the military, whatever it may be, the most important body we belong to is the body of Christ. And as for us, we are going to follow Jesus and refuse to kill. That's food for thought in this first Warcast for Catholics. Listen to upcoming podcasts and join the discussion here, sponsored by the Catholic Peace Fellowship. Thanks for listening. My name's Mike Griffin, and we'll see you in the next podcast.